Morning. Morning. All right, I want to invite any of the children that want to come a little bit closer to come on down now. I am so excited to be with you this morning. I was very, very happy when Pastor Sam asked me to come and speak with you today. My name is George Mueller, and I'm here to tell you a little bit about my life and about what I've learned about God and about how God used my life. But before I do, I want to ask, does anyone remember who your last special visitor was? Anyone remember? He was dressed a lot like me. He didn't have the cool lamb chops. He had a full beard. Charles... Spurgeon, that's right. Charles Spurgeon was actually someone that I ministered with later in my life. You see, Charles was a good bit younger than I was, but by the time he was born, I was actually living and serving in the country of England, which is where Charles Spurgeon ministered as well. But he was born 29 years after I was born, so I, I was a lot older but it was good to know him. I actually had the chance to preach in his church. Do you remember the stories about how big uh, the, the crowds would be to come and hear Charles preach? Well, God allowed me to preach to that crowd and, and to tell them about what he was doing in my life and through the ministry that I had started. Now, I was born on September 27th in the year of 1805 in a town called Kroppenstedt, Germany. Can you say Kroppenstedt? It's kind of a funny name, isn't it? Would you like to guess? Oh, I told you what country it was located in, didn't I? Well, that was a long, good guess. That was a long time ago. I was born even before Mr. Gene was born. And that was a while ago. My, my parents' names were, 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 were Johann and Sophie. My father was the town tax collector, so, so there was often lots of money in our house from when he would go out and do his job and collect the taxes. And, and the reason I'm telling you about my life as a little boy and even as a young man is, is because I want you to know that when I started out, I was a very wicked little boy. I did a lot of bad things. In fact, when I was 10 years old, my father caught me stealing from the taxes that he had collected. He, he thought maybe I was up to no good because he noticed that, that money was, was missing and, and so he, he, he set a, a, a little trap to catch me. In his office, he, he, he put a certain amount of money on his desk and then he called me in to meet with him but then said he needed to step out for a moment. And so as I, as I looked and I, I saw the money on his desk, I thought, well, he won't notice just a, a couple of coins missing. Again, I was only 10 years old. Is anybody here 10 years old? No? No one? That's young, right? Some of you were 10 years old recently. Some of you are yet to be 10 years old. And so when my father left the room, I, I, I took a couple of coins and, and, and I hid them in my sock so he wouldn't find them. And when he came back in, he, he looked at the desk and he said, 
George, I need to ask you something. Did you take some of the money that was on the desk? Well, no, Father. Not at all. Then my father said, well, son, turn your pockets inside out. And I thought, oh, I'm good. He's not going to catch me. So I turned my pockets inside out. Then he said, son, take off your shirt. Take off my shirt? Yes. And so I did, still thinking he wasn't going to catch me. Then he said, take off your pants. I was like, oh, no, Dad, this is embarrassing. And so I, I took off my pants, and so that was there, my socks. He said, now I want you to take off your socks. And I thought, oh, no. I'm busted. And so as I took off my socks, I, I tried to, to make sure the, the coins didn't make any noise. And, and so maybe if he didn't hear anything, he wouldn't make me empty them out. But do you think he made me empty them out? He did. I was caught, and my father was so angry that, that I would take something that didn't belong to me, that he took a rod and, and didn't allow me the chance to get dressed, and he gave me the worst whooping I had ever had in my life. I could barely walk when he was through punishing me, and I vowed that day that I would never, ever, ever get caught stealing again. <laughs> But I was not sorry for stealing. I was just sorry that I got caught. So I was a, a wicked little boy. But when I was 14, something really sad happened. My, my mom died. It, it was a, especially a sad time for my father. But honestly, I wasn't around. I was so focused on doing what I wanted to do and, and having a good time that I was barely even around. When my mother passed away, I didn't even visit her as she died. My poor father was, was left to, to grieve the death of my mother all alone because I was so selfish. When I was 16 years old, I, I was caught stealing again. And, and unfortunately, this time, it, it wasn't by my father, but it was by the police. 16 years old and, and what I had done I, I, I wasn't even spending much time at home I would go out and, and, and spend time with my friends and I would take money where I could get it and, and I would go out and, and I, would, I would drink alcohol and I would gamble and I would try to find as much fun as I could have and, and one of the things that I thought was really fun would, would be to go to different inns inns are like hotels for, for, for you guys today and, and what I would do I would go and I would stay there and I would try to sneak away before it was time to pay and so I'd already just done that successfully in a nearby town I, I stayed the night and then I left before paying and I thought you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again because that's fun and so I chose the next hotel and, and early in the morning I tried to, to climb out the window and, and as I hit the ground and was about to run away wouldn't you know it a police officer was there and he caught me and he threw me in jail. You know what day of the year it was on when I got caught? Christmas Eve. And I was hauled off to jail and my dad let me stay in jail for three weeks. I wish he had let me stay longer because when he came and got me out of jail, he took me home and he beat me again even worse than the first time. But I deserved it. I was bad. I wouldn't learn. 
I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I did not care what my father said, and I certainly did not care what God thought about me. That's a very bad attitude, isn't it? It's a terrible attitude. My, my father was fed up with my wicked behavior, so he decided to send me off to, to, the, to the big university. And I was actually very excited about this because in spite of how bad I was with my behavior, I was a pretty good student. And, and so I was looking forward to, to all the fun I could have at university. And, and so as he told me this, my, my heart leapt. Yes, I, I get to go to school. I get to, I, get to, I get to go and party and make new friends. But then my dad said, but there's one thing I, I want to let you know. When, when I send you off to college, I, I'm sending you with a tutor. I'm going to pay someone to spend every minute of every day with you to make sure that you are doing your work. Well, I didn't want that. He was going to tell my dad everything that I was wanting to do. I, I had to get out of this. He, he wasn't giving me a tutor. As a 16-year-old, he was giving me a babysitter. And I did not want that. So I came up with a plan. I decided, you know what, I'm not going to university. There's, there, there's a small college in another town, and I'm going to go there. And, and so without telling my dad, I, I went and I applied, and, and I was accepted by this school. And, and when I was supposed to go to university, I knew I was going to have to tell my father at some point that I had disobeyed and I was going somewhere else. So how do you think my father responded when he found out what I had done? I'd gone against his plans. Do you think he was happy about that? Not at all. He was very angry with me. He was so tired of my dishonesty and my lying. And he was also disappointed because my choosing to not go to the university meant that I was giving up the chance to, to get a degree and get a respectable job and to be looked at favorably by the people in the town that we lived in. He, 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 I was an embarrassment to him and he saw university as a chance for me to make things right. And so... Not only was he tired of my, me lying, but he was also tired, or I was upset to see his dreams for me come to an end, at least he thought. When I started school in the town of, of Nordhausen, I, I really wanted to do well. Even though I had been bad and, and all these things, I knew that, that I needed to get some kind of degree if I was going to make it in life. And so when I got to school, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do those things that I wanted to do. I'm not going to disobey, but I'm going to be a good student. And so I started well. The first month went by, and, and I, I, I didn't go out gambling. I didn't go to the tavern. I didn't do the things that I shouldn't do. I, I did what I should do as a student, but it was very, very boring to me. And so I decided, you know what? If I go out just one night, what's it going to hurt? A lot. That's right. Because I couldn't just do it one night. You see, one thing I, I, I realized uh, uh, that was true of me early in my life was that I loved money. 
The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, that the love of money is the cause of all kinds of evil. And I loved money. I loved money as much as anything else I could possibly love. And so I would go out and I would gamble. Gamble is when you bet money on different games. And if you win, you get more money back. But if you lose, you lose your money. It's not a good way to live, and I lived that way, and I lost lots of money, and so that, that caused me to, to have to go back to school and lie to my friends and tell them that my money was stolen, and so they would feel sorry for me and, and give me more money, and, and I would waste that money as well. I was a wicked young man, just like I was a wicked little boy. In spite of my awful behavior, I still managed to, to graduate from college, and I made pretty good grades. And then I, I surprised my father by telling him that I was ready now to go to university, and, and not only that, I wanted to be a pastor. Now, does that sound weird to you? That was very weird, because I still wasn't a Christian. My father was thrilled not because he was a Christian, but in, in Germany, pastors were very well respected and they often made lots of money. So, so they didn't, I didn't care about serving God. My, my father didn't care whether or not I was serving God. We both saw it as an opportunity for me to, to, to make something out of my life. That's the right face. It was not a good story. <laughs> Christians are supposed to be generous, right? And my thought was, why not allow their generosity to benefit me? And so off I went to, to university to something they called divinity school, which is a fancy way to say somebody's trying to be a, studying to be a pastor. And, and so, like at the previous school, I, I wanted to start well. I decided going in, you know what, I need to not live like I want to live. I need to focus on my studies so that when I get out, I'll be able to be a pastor and make lots of money. That doesn't happen much these days. <laughs> and so I, I studied hard and, and did well in my classes, but, but I kept feeling the, the, the pull to want to go back out and to, and, to, and to live like I used to live. I wanted to, to party. I wanted to, to gamble. I wanted to, to be liked. I was really good at telling stories. And so when I, I went to the tavern with my friends, everyone would, would gather around to hear the latest tale I had to tell. One night, while out for a walk with a friend of mine, a friend who I had known before, who had joined me in divinity school, who was serious about his relationship with the Lord, he and I were on a walk, and, and he let it slip that he was on his way to a Bible study. Now, the idea of a Bible study sounded ridiculous to me at the time, but I thought, you know what, if I go to this Bible study... I'll get some great stories to tell my friends later tonight at the bar. That's why I went. But I went. I went. It was a crazy idea, but I went. 
But praise God that, that he wasn't waiting around for me to change my mind about him and to get serious about following him. The Lord took action at this Bible study. As the sermon was being read and the passages from the Bible that it referenced were being talked about by the people in the study, God began to change my heart and mind. Within me grew a desire to know God and to follow God as I heard God's word explained. That, was a, that, that night was a big step in my becoming a Christian, my trusting Jesus as the one who died and rose again so all the wicked things I had done in my life could be forgiven by God. My life was changed. I, I stopped joining my friends in the tavern and I spent my time studying the Bible and praying and learned to trust God more and more to provide for my needs. Rather than tricking people when I was short of money or food, I would just ask God. Now I could tell you about so much that God did early in my life, but, but Pastor Sam has asked me to tell you about other times in my life, so, so I need to move on. But I want you to remember this as you listen to other parts of my life. Before Jesus saved me, I was a thief, I was a gambler, I was a drunk, a liar, and a lover of money. But after Jesus saved me, I learned that the most important thing I could ever do was to love Jesus and to live in a way that showed the world that I loved Jesus. Now, how I, I learned to, to, to serve God was a, was a long story. It's also a long story. But after I became a Christian, I really thought that I would serve God as a missionary, traveling to, to other countries to share the gospel with people who had never heard of Jesus. But God had other plans for me. In fact, I was actually in the middle of training to be a missionary in London, England. And as I walked the streets... I was amazed by the number of people that I encountered who did not know the Lord. I was there training to, to actually take the gospel to Jewish people who did not know the Lord. But as I was walking the streets, I saw both Jews and Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, who needed to know the Lord. And, and so as I looked around, I thought, you know what? No one is here reaching out to these people. There are churches and, and people that are being served, but these poor people that, that, that work in the, in the factories and, and, and these orphans that don't have a home, no one is caring for them. And so I decided instead, after praying about it, to become a pastor and, and serve the Lord in that way. The, the first church I pastored was, was in the town of Tangmouth, England. And it was during my time here that I met my first wife, Mary. We were married on October 7th in, in the year 1830. And she was a wonderful woman who loved the Lord. And she loved me, even though I think sometimes I drove her a little crazy. Let me 
give you an example. Not long after our wedding, wedding day, we had returned back uh, to my home, and, and she was preparing our home together. We were, we were married now, living there in the community, and, and so I was out serving, and she would spend the day. She had brought her belongings from her home to, to, to my home and, and, and was making a nice house for us, and, and one day I came in, and I looked at all the beautiful things around our house, and I said, honey, you've got to sell it all. And she looked at me like I had lost my mind. She said, but honey, why? And I said, dear, think about how much we could help the poor with the money that we could have from all these things. Well, she didn't like it, but after she prayed about it, she agreed that it was the right thing to do. I think I drove her a little crazy <laughs> Another thing that happened, it was the practice in small churches. If I pastored in Germany, I I would have been wealthy, but but here in England, I was a very poor pastor. And in fact, the way this church paid me was through the practice of of renting the pews. And and what that meant was is that if you wanted to, to, to sit in a good seat at church, you could pay the church money for your pew. Now, you all have chairs here, but I don't think you have to pay to sit in the good ones. From what I can see here, it would cost more money to sit in the back than the front. But but as I read God's word, I I saw in the book of James chapter 2 that it is a sin to to play favorites between rich people and poor people in the church. And And I realized... That our church had to stop doing this. And, and so on a walk one night with, with Mary, I said, Honey, I, I need to talk to you about something, but you're probably not going to like it. And I could just tell that she was having thoughts about everything she had just sold. <laughs> so we got, we've got to stop renting the pews at church. She said, But honey, that's, that's how your salary is paid. How are we going to live? And I said, well, dear, we will trust the Lord to provide for our needs. But we cannot show favoritism to those who have money against those who do not. And so my wife prayed about it, and she agreed. And we lost about half of my salary. But we continued to pray, and God always met our needs. He always met our needs. Now, these years of, of, of serving in Tangmuth were, 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 were great, and, and we learned a lot about God's faithfulness and really the importance of prayer in our lives. But it was not long before God led us to serve in another part of the country. Now, the city of Bristol, England, was a, was a busy city. It was a port city. That meant that a lot of boats came through and, and, and would stop there to unload their cargo. And, and it was a, there, there were many people there, lots of, lots of people, and it was, uh, many of them were poor people. There were many beggars. There were many children who did not have parents. Does anyone know what children without parents are called? Just say it out loud. Orphans, that's right. There were so many orphans, and it was a filthy city. And so as I walked around the city, my heart was broken seeing all these dirty, poor people not having enough food to eat, some of them not having even a, a place to live. My, my friend, his name was Henry, 
and I agreed to pastor a church there in Bristol together as co-pastors. It was obvious that there were many people in the city who did not know Jesus. So, so we felt the best way to care for the church and also to share the gospel was to pastor the church together. And, and God answered our prayers and blessed our efforts and the church began to grow. Much as many people would come to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. Do you remember the stories of, of people sitting in the aisles and, and standing outside the windows to, to hear him preach? They, they did this in Bristol as well. People were hungry to hear the truth of God's love. And, and as I was, would walk the streets of Bristol, I, I became more and more aware of the number of children that were roaming the streets, children younger than you, with no adults to, to look after them and doing whatever they want. They would beg or even steal in order to, to, have the, to get the food they needed to live. Some of those children were barely even old enough to walk. And they were on their own. So Mary and I de decided to start what became known as the Breakfast Club. And, and what we did was, in the morning, we would open our home for, 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 for any orphan children who wanted to come and have breakfast. They, they were welcomed into our home, and while they were there, I would open the Bible and I would teach them God's Word. And, and in no time at all, in the mornings, our home would be filled with little boys and girls my, my wife would meet them at the door that, with, 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 a, with a pitcher of hot water and they had to wash their face and their, and their hands before they came in and then they would come and, and sit and, and eat and hear from God's word. And, and the neat thing is that Mary and I didn't have a lot of money. We had to trust God to, to, to provide the food to be able to feed these orphans. Within a year... It wasn't just children that were entering our home, but also adults as well. And so God opened the door for us to share his word with children and adults who had no place to live, had, had no family. Yeah. Um, this sounds like the men's breakfast. <laughs> Did they have food? Uh, food was a little, not quite as good probably as what you have at the men's breakfast. <laughs> But Henry and I began to, to pray about the ministry that we had going on there. The need was great, and, and people were responding. And so we decided to start. Now, I wouldn't advise a name this long for any ministry that you all try to start today. But, but we started what was called the Scriptural Knowledge Institution for Home and Abroad. Uh, that, that's a long name, but it worked, I guess, or at least God blessed it. But our, our plan was to provide spiritual education for those in need through day schools for children, these orphans that had nowhere to go. We wanted to provide schools for them, and, and also Sunday schools at church. You guys are getting to miss Sunday school today. Thank you so much for staying up to hear me. And, and then also we decided to provide schools for adults as well. And it was our goal to, to, to be able to provide anyone who came to our schools with their very own Bible. Now, I need to tell you that, that, that running a school and giving away Bibles, that those aren't things that you can do for free. But as someone who formerly loved money... <laughs> I, I began to realize that it would be important for us 
to never go in debt in our ministry. And so if we didn't have something, we would just ask God to provide it. And you know what? He did. We, we didn't do fundraising. We didn't announce our needs to other people, others. They knew about our ministry, but we would pray and ask God to, to, to put it on the hearts and minds of those who had money to give it to our ministry, and he always did. And we were able to help lots of people through these ministries. Now, as a pastor, one of the things that I enjoyed doing the most was visiting people in their homes. Uh, and talking to church members and other Christians, I, I learned a lot about what they really believed about the Bible. And one of the things that was really troubling for me was how many of them were, were happy to come to church on Sunday and, and say that they believed everything that they read in the Bible. But when it came to, 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 to the, their jobs and how they lived during the week, they simply could not trust God to provide for them. Other things took the place of their spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, praying together, worshiping God as a family. And I found that very disturbing. And when I would ask them about it, the response would almost always be the same. Well, those church answers are great for Sunday morning, but, but if I don't work these extra hours, my family will not eat. And, and I understood the pressure that they felt, but I was also sad that they could hear and read the promises of God to provide for his people, while at the same time not believe them when it came to their own lives. And so I vowed going forward that, 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 that if I ever started or every ministry that I was involved with, I would want to run them in such a way that not only did they help the people that I was trying to help, but that every other Christian in the world could look and see how God was providing for our needs. And this is how I started the orphanages. Remember, Bristol was filled with children who did not have parents. And in those days, the, orphanage, the orphanages that did exist, they were for the rich kids who lost their parents. You, 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 the estate would pay for the children to go to these very nice places to live until they were old enough to live on their own. Well, the children we wanted to help had no money. They could never go to an orphanage like that. Their only other option was what was called the poorhouse. Now, does the poorhouse sound like a place that you'd want to go? Not at all. The kids were treated really poorly. The, the people who cared for them were, were, were very mean to them, and they, and they forced them to work hard jobs and paid them very little so they would have to stay there. So it was not a, a good option for them. And, and God really laid it on my heart to, 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 to want to provide a place where we could meet their needs and also help them know the Lord. And so began to pray about starting, starting an orphanage. Now, when I told my church what I wanted to do, there were some in the church who were really excited and some who thought I had lost my mind. But I wanted the orphanage to serve two purposes. First, like I said, I, I wanted it to, 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 to tell the world of how God can provide for his people. And secondly, we wanted to care for the children and help them know the Lord. 
I told the church that we would not ask people for donations. We would not borrow any morning money, but we would simply pray and see how God answered those prayers. So, so in the months leading up to when we were supposed to open that first orphanage, we prayed. We prayed. We, we, we prayed for the, all the supplies that we would need. We, we prayed for the beds. We prayed that clothes would be provided, pots and pans, forks, knives, plates, bowls, blankets, pillows, even the coal that would be needed to heat the house. We prayed that God would provide it all. We prayed for months and almost every day we saw God answering those prayers. People would stop by our home and, and drop off different supplies or money to, to go towards buying what we needed. So, so that when the day to open the orphanage finally arrived, we had everything we needed. That morning I was so excited as I, as I went to the house on Wilson Street. We'd even prayed that God would provide a place and, and we found a house that we could afford to rent. And so we prepared and, and I went to the house on Wilson Street and I threw open the door and, and I began to, to arrange things for when the children would arrive. No one showed up through the whole morning. I thought surely at lunchtime someone will come. No one was there. The whole day, no one came to the orphanage. As I walked back home that night, I was so disappointed. I was so discouraged. I came home and, and, and Mary met me excitedly, excitedly at the door. I said, How was it? How many are there? How many kids do we have? I said, None. We, we prayed. And God answered our prayers. We, 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 he gave us everything that we needed. Why didn't the kids come? And the strangest thing happened. Mary laughed at me. I was offended. How, how dare she laugh at me? This is heartbreaking. And I said, are you making fun of me? And she said, no, dear, think about it. We prayed for everything for the orphanage except for children. And so I laughed. And we got together on our knees and we prayed that God would bring in the children. And he brought in the children. That first orphanage was, was designed to, 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 to care for young girls. And, and it was full in about a month. And as we cared for them, we, we, we saw another need that were in the community. It was for, for an orphanage for little babies. And we thought, well, if we, if we open another one, we can use the older girls that are at this orphanage to, to help care for the younger, uh, for the babies at the other orphanage. And what that would do, it would help them be nannies when they were old enough to need a job of their own. And so we had a, a great plan, and so we began to pray, and wouldn't you know it, that, that God opened up a house on Wilson Street. Not only on Wilson Street, but I noticed that as I was looking outside that here in Marietta, you guys have what's called row homes, right? Houses that are attached to one another. Well, that's how it was on Wilson Street as well. And not only what was the second house on Wilson Street, it was in the same row of houses. And so we would be right near one another as needs arose. 
And, and so we prayed and God provided cribs, everything that we needed. And so within a year, we'd opened up the next orphanage for the babies. So we have young girls and, and babies being cared for. Who have we forgotten? The boys, what about the boys? Well, there were plenty of boys, and, and, and so we began to pray again. Lord, you, you, we know that, that, that you want your people to care for who the world calls the least of these. Would you help us to open an orphanage to care for little boys? What do you think God did? Did he answer those prayers? He did. He answered those prayers, and he provided another home. Where do you think that was? Same row of houses. Uh, there were five houses in our row, and three of them were orphanages. God is so good. Now, this doesn't mean that everything was easy. There, there were many times when we were short on food or we had things that, that needed to be replaced, but every time we prayed, God provided. Now, think about it. There are five houses. Three of them are orphanages. In those orphanages, two of them are filled with kids that are playing age, and the other is filled with babies. Do you think it was quiet for our neighbors? Our poor, poor neighbors. I, I hear the train in the background. Can you imagine something that annoying all day long, every day? Our poor, our poor, poor neighbors. In fact, one day I received a letter from another neighbor, and, and he was complaining. And as I read the letter, I, I realized he wasn't trying to be mean. Need something? What's that? Oh, yeah? Well, we need to pray that they change their mind. Yeah. But as I read this neighbor, for our, this letter from my neighbor, I realized he was right. We were not being good neighbors to have all these children, over 30 in each house. And so, what do you think we did? We began to pray. And it was not long before God provided for us a property that was only a mile away that was in a better location but there were no buildings but that's not too big for God God provided an, an architect an architect is someone who plans and, and helps buildings be built the right way and, and because of, of what we were doing and wanting to do he, gave, he did his work for us for free and so the, the, the first home he, he designed and oversaw the building of and it was a grand parade walking that mile up the hill to, to what was called Ashley Downs to where our final orphanages would be. And that first year, we, we took all the kids from the three homes and we put them into, into one giant home and we were able to care well for them. But that building would be the first of five buildings that we needed to care for orphans in Bristol exciting isn't it and I could go on and on about what God had done and hopefully Pastor Sam will have me back because I think he wants me to tell you more about my life there's much more that God did and much more that I learned but I want to close this morning by telling you two stories about how God answered our prayers 
and reminded us of, of his promise to take care of his people. The first involved a furnace. Do you guys know what a furnace is? Oh yeah, most of you, if not all of you, have furnaces, and they are a good thing, especially when they are working. But we were in our, our main house, the original house, and uh, we had not been there long, and, and the groundskeeper came in one morning and into my office, and he had a very sad look on his face, and he said, George, I've got really bad news. There's, there's some kind of leak in the furnace, and to fix it, we're going to have to turn it off, and it's probably going to have to stay off for a whole week while they fix it. Now, if you get that news in the summertime, that's not bad news. But when you get it in the winter like we did, it's bad news, especially when you have children and you live in a very cold part of the world, which we did. And so I prayed. I prayed two things. I prayed, first of all, that, that God who controls the weather would, would change the weather. Or... He would change the weather for, you can just cut it off. 